This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. fans how you doing it's your boy jonathan macri with you for another episode of the Knicks film school podcast um this is of course a mailbag edition of the pod in which we will be uh answering your questions that you have emailed to kfsmailbag at gmail.com over the last several days and stick around um after the last question is over because um i have a couple of Lingering calls from our fundraiser episode. So one person that um, got the uh, got to me a little bit late and we didn't get a chance to record the call until actually a little bit earlier today. Um, so that's a fresh call. And also um, there is, uh, David Garfinkel is someone that uh, was on one of the fundraiser episodes. But in the initial release of the episode, his call was accidentally um, not on it and it was replaced by somebody else. Uh, who appeared twice. So if uh, you stick around to the end of the episode, you'll be able to hear both of those. Both of those are very good conversations. So stick around for like that extra 20 minutes or so. But right now I have on the line, um, I don't know what he is now. I guess he's the dean of Nick's film school now, according to to uh, Mike Vorkanoff, which I mean, you know, Mike works for the athletics. So what he says goes. Um, my, my former intern, uh just really skyrocketing in the world of sports media. Chris Persiani and Chris, how are you? I'm great. I don't know about the last part, but uh, I, no, I'm I'm great. I'm doing well. I've had a had a busy day with all this news coming out. You know, so, so it's it's funny you mentioned busy days. There there are a number of things that I I intended to do today um, that did not happen, such as uh, showering. Um, or, or for that matter, changing out of the clothes that I put on yesterday morning. Um, it is four forty-five in the afternoon for for those wondering. Um, but um, you know, when you have a a, a a wife who is a little under the weather, and you're tasked with, you know, doing a few articles and uh, trying to listen to a Michael K interview and frying up some chicken cutlets and playing, uh, God, what did we play today? Blocks, I think. We played a lot of blocks. Nice. Yeah, blo- blocks are fun. I like playing blocks. Um, you know, these are the things that happen or, as it were, don't happen. Um, and among the things I did not get a chance to do today after I texted you this morning, hey, can you shoot me an email with all of the questions, so I have at least a chance to look them over, and I don't sound like an idiot um, before we record. You did that, and I'm so thankful. And of course, I I have not yet opened the email with the questions that we're going to be talking about today. Ah, oh, very good. 
So thank you so much for taking whatever time you did to do that. Um, I guess this is, is preparation for when you get like a like a, a real job in media and like somebody asked you to do some long thing and then they don't even like look at it. So uh, you're welcome. Um, thank you. Always career. Good career training. I mean, prep, you know, here and at KFS and you're getting this for free, by the way. Um, so, I mean, just throwing that out there. All right. Without further ado, let's get on to the questions. Um, but I believe our first question comes from one Chris Persianen. So, Chris, take it away. Oh, yeah. I did, I did have a question, which is, well, first, I just wanted to let you know of my uh, inner hatred towards you for putting Cole Anthony as the most likely starting point guard uh, for next year for the Knicks. I, you should be thanking me. If I put him as the most likely, that just means that he's almost certainly not going to be the starting point guard <laughs> for the Knicks next year. So, uh, you, so again, you're welcome. But I, I do have to, I did have to ask you, you know, the, the fit, I'm not a fan of Cole's as a prospect as in terms of being the Knicks starting point guard. Right. So like say Boston is looking for a backup PG. I know they've been interested in Killian and, you know, maybe maybe Cole could work there and run run that offense with the second unit. What do you think Tibbs would think about you know having Cole, RJ, Mitch, and Frank? I guess like like is that is that a core Tibbs is going to be happy with, or are we going to Levine, Markinen, and Dunn our way into a start because he's going to not want to deal with those guys after a little bit of time? Um, I I guess my hottest take and um. I'm I'm going to write about him at some point because I need to dig into the film a little bit more. Um, but my hottest take is I think Zach Levine is going to be a Nick and that's, that's not any inside information whatsoever. I was very against that. And so is Jeremy. And in the span of 24 hours, Jeremy did a 180, talked me into doing a 180. And now we're both on board as long as the outgoing package is not too much because you can't just go, from dumpster juice to great, there's got to be an intermediary step of being a decent to good team. And I don't think sending a package of something like Randall Knox and a Mavs pick is is the end of the world for a guy like Levine. Yeah, but that's so that's the thing is like the Bulls. If I mean, who the hell knows what the Bulls are going to want to do? But I have to think that it's not Julius Randall. Well, th- not, they're being run by a very competent front office now coming from Denver, uh, Karnasovas. So I may already have. Um, you know, they're already overstocked with bigs. They might be the only team in the league more stocked with bigs than we are. Um, they're trying to get rid of Thad Young. Um, and his six million, I mean, Randall has a four million dollar guarantee in two years. Thad Young has a six million dollar guarantee in two years. Um, right. and he, he did not have a great year. I like him as a, as a, a vet. Um, I'm not sure I like his six million dollars in two years. Um, four, I should say 14 million dollar contract in two years, uh, or, expiring in two years, but 6 million is guaranteed. Anyway, I'm getting off, off topic. Um, the point is, no, no, no. Let's just do a Thad Young episode now. Scream I think that's back. really you, what the, that's, you I ever mean, see that stat where they put him next to like LeBron. Oh my, and yes, Bert. yes, yes. That's the greatest <laughs> stat ever. Um, and dude, thank, Thad Young was like really good for a good Pacers team a few years ago, but again, we digress. Um, I, I think, I, like, I cannot laugh. I'm sorry. It's fine. Um, I think Levine, they'll trade for him with the not with the idea that he is where they want to go, but that he will help them get where they want to go. Yeah. Um, and I just 
I, they're going to have to figure out a way to make a deal work. It might involve just taking him into cap space. I think it's going to be mostly something based on picks. What are those picks? What are the protections on those picks? I have no idea. Are they the Dallas picks or are they our picks? I'm saying picks plural. Maybe it's just one pick. Maybe it's a really good. I mean, there's just there's so many variables, but I think right. they're going to make a play for him because I think the upside is there. And like I wrote, I think on Monday, like that's why you hire Tom Thibodeau. You hire Tom Thibodeau to, to bring in a guy like Zach Levine and be like, here, turn this guy into a dude that like on the wrong night, you look at him and be like, oh my God, get him so far away from my basketball team. But then he shows flashes of being uh, someone that could really help you. And I think the one thing that I would note for any Nick fan who's like, wow, great advocate for them making the Nixiest move of all Nixie moves is like, he's, I don't think this is even an argument. He's been coached for two years now or for uh, two years. No, a year and a year and a half. Cause Boylan year, took yeah. over. Yeah. Something like a year and a half by, I pretty sure inarguably the worst coach in the NBA. I, and I, I don't know. He's the worst. He's the worst head coach in the NBA right now. Yeah. I think, and, I think you can make that assertion and not have to, yeah, think about it I, too much. I don't think that's a hot take um, or even like a lukewarm take. Uh, but I think um, and if you look at some advanced stats in Chicago with like certain lineups, like he wasn't a disaster defensively um, with others. He, he was really bad. Like, don't look at his numbers with Kobe White, please. God, I was going to say Kobe. White. Yeah, but but then White. but then it's like, OK, so you're trading him to bring him into what foundation? Because like putting him alongside Cole Anthony and RJ at, like that, that's not, that might not work very well. So I don't think, it, I don't even think Cole's the worst defender. I think, I just think like if your backcourt is LaMelo ball and Zach Levine, oh, which, well, but hold on. Cause I listen, as you know, I'm incredibly insecure. And so as soon as I posted my art, my piece this morning, I immediately, I texted Spencer and I'm like, Hey, did you, what'd you think of the piece? Are there any like glaring deficiencies in it? And the one thing he texted me back, he's like, you wrote that LaMelo is going to be a trash fire on defense next year. And I don't necessarily think that's the case because he's, Oh, I don't think he'll be a trash because he's smart. I think there's the IQ. If you can understand what's going on on the offensive end to the degree that he does, then you can probably figure it out the same way on defense. That's why I think he'll be a good off-ball defender reading passing lanes and stuff. Uh, well, he needs to pay attention for us, but go on. Yeah. No, no, no. But you you get what I'm saying. Like, like the vision's there, right? So but I, think- I think on offense, I, I to be honest with you, like, yeah, if they both, if they do like your turn, my turn, and just take dumb fucking shots, I, I, needless to say, that would be a disaster. But I don't know. When you have a guy who has like some savant qualities, like, ball i think a dude like levine would be like okay i'll let you steer the ship even though he's 18 or what up 19 by next year right but with it's anthony i actually have the bigger questions about but then you know again who knows the, the the lineup i pitched in the newsletter today was what it was like frank and levine and rj and maybe like whether it's that's Gal- when you need Gallo. Gallo. You need or, Gallo. Or, or if you're starting frank and rj you need Gallo real but, bad or or hey Maybe draft any um, and see if I mean, that's a little small, but um, RJ, RJ at the four. Hey, anybody, anybody? I'm here it's all. been brought up. It has, it well, has it, been brought it, up. It should before. be brought up because he's bigger than anyone. The Rockets start and like, you know, anyway, 
Um, that's I think he should be at the three next year, like no matter what. I know I hate to like box players in like that, but just like traditionally, like like have him as like a scoring wing, play him as a wing, is is my thought, and let him do some playmaking with the second unit. I mean, listen, in a few years, we're not even going to be talking about positions in this way anymore. It's going to be like, do you have a dive man or not? Um, and do you have, or do you have a center or not? And if so, is he a dive man or is he something more than a dive man? And like, how many ball handlers do you have on the floor? That right. like, it's like, it, all of this is going to change. These like two, three, four, it's all going out the window. Yeah. Um, none, none of that's real anymore. We're going to see it's like, really Kevin not Knox though. Kevin Knox is going to rejuvenate his career after we <laughs> trade him somewhere, like as the small ball center, dude, just totally. I, you laugh. Um, uh, half, half and half. Yeah. Cause I can see it. I could like the Michael Porter jr. Despite his ridiculous comments and like Kevin Knox, like those guys, like I can see them playing center in a few years. Absolutely. Listen, nothing, any, anything, anything is possible. Uh, we've been talking for, uh, far too long and we have not even got any questions in yet. We're already on the clock. I said I was ending this, this, the, the mailbag after 45 minutes. We've used up more than 10. Nah, we'll, we'll make it. We'll make it. We'll make I, it. All right. We're going to, we're going to make it. Here we go. So let's, let's, let's start off here, uh, with the, the one Twitter submitted question, which uh, is from Novocaine 2020. Okay. Nice name. Uh, <laughs> To what extent do you think the length of Tibbs's contract will increase the leash he provides to the young players? And do you think his intense mentality supersedes any details of his contract and he'll hold them more accountable than maybe some fans would like to see? So kind of which direction sure. do you see this going? And do you think it's you know because of the, because of the contract, regardless of the contract? I, I'm going to give a short answer because I this is what I believe. I don't think it his the length of his contract is going to enter into his mind for one iota of a second in how he coaches and how how much he plays the young guys how much he doesn't play the young guys um yep yeah i i don't i don't think it's going to enter into his mind <laughs> i buy it yeah okay jesse scaccia asks oh well i'll start off thanks for all the great work fellas as a longtime journalist journalism professor Ooh. and heartfelt Knicks obsessive it's the exact content i'm looking for Thank you, Jesse. Thank you. Here's his question. In the upcoming draft, we have three picks, millions of Dolan's money to throw at another team, and even the ability to take on someone else's iffy contract. There will be opportunities to make interesting things happen on draft night. What is your dream 2020 draft night for the Knicks? Oh, Jesus. I say dream, but keep it within the realm of reality in terms of who will be available at what picks and the viability of the trades you might suggest. So... Uh, a realistic dream scenario. I mean, there, I mean, getting the number one pick would be <laughs> would be nice. Um, or actually, no, the dream would be like getting the number four pick and and seeing Lamelo Ball fall fall to was at four. Whatever. It's it's ending up True. it's ending up with Lamelo. You pay, you pay less salary. There we go. Yeah, exactly. It's ending up with Lamelo Ball without having to trade up to get him. And then realistic. Oh, God. I agree with that first part. That's the I, my answer is the same there. I, I know it. My second. So part of okay. So the qu- so you want me to you want me to go ahead and buy you some time? No, I no. I think I sure. Why don't you go? Go for it. <laughs> I would take twenty seven and thirty eight, and uh, you know what? Whatever. Maybe it's Knox. Maybe it's something else. Right? Like add whatever assets are needed to get myself in like that mid late teens range 
And then, you know, if by some miracle Poku is there, grab him. If not, then look for just a, a second rookie to bring in who has a skill set, you know, whether it's reaching on like a Desmond Bain type. And I don't even think that's much of a reach there for Bain. He'll, so he'll go someone in the like first Bain, round. He'll, he'll go. Yeah. So someone like, but I don't know how late. Someone like Bain, maybe, uh, I'm not a fan of Sadiq Bay's defense, but that kind of guy, you know what I mean? Someone who can shoot it, a wing, maybe come off the bench, uh, as the three or four play with Frank, provide some shooting for the second unit. So Poku, dream world, like absolute dream. But, you know, um, Isaiah Joe, Desmond Bain, or, or, or Desmond Bain are some guys that I like too as shooters. I think, I think Joe's going to, uh, he's going to last because I, it's seem, and I'm not just going off of mocks. Like I've talked to, to Spencer a little bit about him and I think teams are scared of some, so whatever we, we, I think an Isaiah Joe podcast would be right up there with a Thad Young podcast in terms of getting getting my listeners really just scintillated. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so here's the issue. I think the implication in the question is that we're using our financial resources to take advantage of other teams who are struggling. So the implication there is that they would be making a trade to dump salary, right? And to get off money from next year. So giving that team the 27th pick, which is going to be a guarantee of like whatever, one point something million dollars next year, plus Knox, who assuming his option is picked up, is going to be four point whatever. Um, even if you send them like for argument's sake, the full, I think it's five point something million dollars that you could send in a trade. And I don't think they would send it all out um, without leaving them something to spare just in case like that team is going to break even. And what do they get from it? They get Kevin Knox and a later pick and they're going to give up a quicker pick or an earlier pick. I just, I just don't know if I see that happening. I don't know if that's going to be worth it for the cash strap team. So, right. I would say maybe something like the Knicks because second round picks are you don't have to sign two NBA deals. And for a team looking to save money, they could do a draft and stash. Um, I'm going to F up the guy's name. The guy who plays overseas, he's a point guard, but he's not really a point guard, but he's, he's a kind of thank you. Yeah. So like, Good. Maybe someone wants, he's, good. I, he's probably going to go before 38, but like, whatever, just for argument's sake, some team wants to maybe draft and stash him. So you send out 38 and you send out the 5 million or whatever, four point something million, and you buy the 20, I don't know, the 20, 20, a pick in the mid 20s, and then you find a different team. That's maybe not cash strapped and you send them your two picks in the twenties and you get back maybe like a future protected first round pick. And, and, and if the sum total of that scenario is the Knicks gave away two draft picks and they didn't end up with any current players. Right. But again, I don't think they're looking to bring any additional young guys in this year other than the lottery pick. And yeah, sure. There are exceptions, right? Like a guy like Desmond Bain could play on the team next year. We know that, but I just, I don't know. I just don't, 
Maybe looking. I, I hope I'm wrong, but I just don't see it. And I think right. the Knicks would rather pick up a potentially an, a future draft pick with potential upside in a later draft. I don't think they're going to get anyone to give them a 2021 pick, even with protections. Maybe a 2022 pick, maybe a 2023 pick. But that's the type of thing that I could see. But then you have to ask yourself the question of like, all right, who wants two late first round picks in this draft? I don't know if there's an answer to that question. So I guess the long and the short of it is it might be a little tough to find something unless it's a deal where it's like, you know, you're taking on a a contract from another team of somebody that wants to unload and then you could get crazy. But um, my, if you're asking me my dream, there's my dream. They, They pick up a future draft asset in like the 21, 22, 23 draft that has the chance to be, if not like a really good pick, like something that a team would look at in a deal and be like, Hey, that's a real asset. So that would be my dream. That is a Brock solid dream. Hey, Brock hard for Eller. You'll, you'll see There's a, there's a surprise in these questions. Oh, I'm sure there is. But next up, (laughs) B Bren swish asks, uh, oh, they say they've been watching and admiring your pods for over a year. And when you drive as much as they do, there's nothing better than a KFS pod to pass the time. The mailbag question is as Did follows, you pay I these like, people to say these nice things? I think you pay people. So I can't comment on that because of the <laughs> NDAs. I also have them signed. But anyway, <laughs> as someone born in 1998, I really missed out on the 90s Knicks teams, and my father always tells me he wishes he could bring me back in time to some of those playoff battles when he had season tickets. Could you name one single game from each of the last three decades that in, that describes the entire decade as a whole? Oh, Jesus. Thanks, and I look forward to all of your future pods, especially Holy. with the draft lottery now in sight. Well, it's a good thing I didn't read this question ahead of time because I wouldn't have thought about anything else. Um, I... <sighs> Ooh, that's, I just remembered that I forgot to tweet out the poll today. Um, <laughs> from the 90s, um, it has to be the finger roll uh, when uh, 95 uh, game seven, Eastern semis against Indiana, when Ewing missed the finger roll at the end because there were so many years where it felt like we were, we were literally right there. Um, and it was like, <laughs> shot was literally, I remember the paper the next day, the shot was literally the half, halfway down. And of course it rimmed out because it always rimmed out for the Knicks in the nineties, but we were so close. Um, two thousands. So I'm, I'm describing like what it felt like to be a Nick fan. Yeah. One play like a, like from a, the decade. A, okay. A, a game, a game, a game, a game. A single game. So it's like a, a game yeah. that is a microcosm for the decade of Nick Sure. God, the 2000s is just so hard because there were just... <laughs> there were just no... You know what I'm going to do? Here's what I'm going to do. Fuck this. The... When... <laughs> When the Knicks beat, I want to say it was the Wizards to briefly, I want to say it was like the 2005 or 2006 season. Isaiah Thomas was coaching. They won the game and were briefly tied for eighth place in um, the standings. 
And it was well, Matt it, will know exactly what game you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, no, I mean any Nick fan. Trust me, people will. Oh, okay, people will I remember like the game alive for some of that decade. So I, 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 can't I know, but. And Steve Francis at the end of the game, like jumped up on the scorers table a la like Kobe after right. he won one of his titles. And of course they went on to lose like probably several straight games. In any case, I'm picking that game because it was just so absurd. But at the same time, there was that glimmer of hope, however absurd it was. And that's what the 2000s was. There were glimmers of hope with the Marbury trade. And with the Eddie Curry trade and, and maybe look, I'm sure people would be like, you idiot, you actually had hope when they made that trade. And I'll admit it. Like, yeah, I was, you know, I was in my early twenties. Yeah. I had, I had hope for those trades and there were other ones too, but those, but those glimmers of hope were absurd. And so that moment I think encapsulates um, the absurd glimmers of hope. (sighs) And then this decade, one game, Um, I, you know, it's funny. The one that comes to my head is the playoff game, um, that they had against the Celtics were now, you know, actually, no, uh, there's, it's just, this is really tough because this has been a really all over the place decade. Um, yeah, no, I'm going to, no, I'm going to choose Mello's. No, I'm not going to choose that. Sorry. This is what I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose game one against the Pacers in the 2013 playoffs. Um, they lost and they were flat and it wasn't a really close game. Um, and it basically decided the series right there. They lost in six with the Hibbert block on Mello. And I'm going to pick that game because there was a lot of anticipation built up for that playoffs and specifically that series against the Pacers. And like before we even got a chance to really be in it, we were out of it. And I think this decade more than anything is defined by the fact that like we were never really in it in so many instances, even though we talked ourselves into being in it, we like it, we were never that close and that's sad and it, but I think it's true. So that would be my game from this decade. Sounds good. I'm sorry. I talked for a long time, but that was like, oh, my God, what a great question. Who asked that question? Brennan Ladd. Oh, like my B God. Brent, B, B. Brent Swish is the like the male name. Really fantastic question. Good stuff. I, I liked it, too, because it has nothing to do with like what's going on right now, which is like what everything I feel like I'm doing has to do with if that slew of words made sense. Yeah, no, it does. Um, Next up, Mensa Smith. Good afternoon. I've been listening to the KFS pod for close to six months, and I have to say it's my favorite Knicks content anywhere on the internet. Keep up the great work. Here's my question. With the way things in this country are progressing, it looks like next year's NBA season might be in the bubble as well. If it takes place in Florida again, will Knicks players potentially – or will Knicks players signed to one-year deals, like, you know, all potential, right? Will they be able to benefit from there being no state income tax in Florida? Hashtag Brock Hard for Brock Holland. Wow. Um, I, I don't I don't know the answer to this question. My Paging Jeremy? No, my 
So my understanding is yes. My under I this is funny. I have a close uh I guess I'll say family friend who splits residence between New York and Florida and he for tax purposes spends 6 months and a day every year in Florida. At least. I mean sometimes it might be more than 6 months and a day, but it's at least 6 months and a day. So if if they go through the requisite steps to change their residence, which I don't know how easy or not easy that would be. Um, that said, the regular NBA season is not going to last six months. And so and I'm assuming training camps would occur in the home state. So in that instance, if a player really did want to benefit, I guess they would need to change their residence and then um, stay in Florida for an extra, I, I don't know, month or so. Um, but even then, are you allowed to change your residence with like in, in a situation like this where it's like, are, is there some like special rule that you if it's like for work, per- I don't, that's what I don't know. Like, what are the rules behind being allowed to change your residence? Is, is it literally like if I spend more than six months here, I could change my residence or there has to be something more to it. So um, we'll look into that some more. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't know. Yeah. Good question. Okay. So we have two questions from Paul Palak. I, I like both of them. I threw them in back to back. The first one, well, I'll start off with his, his intro quickly. John, love the show. I found it during quarantine and I've been very impressed. Um, he says there are lots of parallels as he is a 38 year old middle school math teacher and high school basketball coach and a dad of two two toddlers. He's also been a season ticket holder for 14 years, uh, which it's the first thing they got when he, he got when he got his first job and it's been a great investment so far. Just kidding. And his wife reminds (laughs) him of this every day and continues to ask him to get rid of them. (laughs) He said he loved the fundraiser episodes and they were excellent. As for his question, barring the Knicks not winning the lottery and getting LaMelo Ball, there's no reason why they shouldn't try to make a net neutral trade for Chris Paul. These owners are going to be in trouble next year and moving forward financially, as Windhorse said. Yeah. Uh, and Chris Paul is going to be a second-team All-NBA guard this season with only two years left on his deal. He knows it's a lot of money, but thinks they have to take a shot. He says, center the deal around Randall, which already makes me unsure personally, but he would be willing to include Knox, DSJ, the Clippers pick, whatever, like, you know, one of the players and one of the picks with Randall would be his deal. He also added, which I'm a fan of, sign Gallo to a one-year bloated deal and trot out CP3, RJ, Bullock, Gallo, and Mitch to make the playoffs. He begs you at the bottom to talk him out of this. Okay. Um, I'm not going to talk you out of it. Um, I'll say a couple things. Oh, One, um, I, uh, as listeners of this show know, I am a member of the church of Zach Lowe, and I think he is as connected with the league as anyone. Um, and he, on his own podcast the other day, when the, when the notion of uh, CP3 trade was brought up, he didn't even mention the possibility that Oklahoma city would be willing to sell low. It would, it was basically like, do the Knicks have anything that would interest Oklahoma city? And I think that was telling because, and I I wrote this today. I don't care if the Clay Bennett is um, like on the verge of bankruptcy. They're like, just from a PR perspective, like you're not, 
And Sam Presti, like, he's, he's just not going to do this. He's not going to trade Chris Paul unless he gets back something that is like a real thing. And I do think that Randall would be a prerequisite as a part of the deal for the Knicks. I think they would say you have to take on Randall. And I think Oklahoma City would because they have been known to take on distress assets with talent. See Dennis Schroeder. Um, and, and flip them for like something good. Like they almost did with Schroeder this year and they could probably do for Schroeder this summer and maybe they will. Anyway, so the, the pieces you mentioned, Knox, DSJ, the 2020 Clippers pick and the 2020 Charlotte second rounder. Um, they already have a bunch of young players and they have a million and one draft picks coming up in the coming years. I don't think the Clippers pick and I don't think the Charlotte pick are going to move the needle for them. I don't think DSJ. I don't think they would view him as worth his salary next year, quite frankly. And I think they would view Knox as a real thing. I don't think Knox alone, even with the other stuff, would be enough to make it happen. I think they would need to send a second real thing. And the deal I proposed today, which I think is realistic, is one of the Dallas picks with protection. So, like... 2021 Dallas pick, like top 10 protected, maybe top 14 protected, something like that. And then if it's protected, it converts to the 2023 Dallas pick with the possibility of getting New York's pick that year with protections. I think that's a real thing that could become valuable to Oklahoma City in a trade down the line. Um, I'm not going to talk you out of Chris Paul bringing a winning mentality because he will bring a winning mentality and is probably the best thing that could possibly happen to this team but again, it's a matter of what you give up and how does that deal work? Um, I think they can make the playoffs. Yeah, man. I think that's it. Um, did I miss anything? I think that was the whole question, right? No, yeah, you're good. Like, yeah. I'm, I, I would love nothing more than to see Chris Paul in orange and blue, but like, I, I agree that you can't send out too many assets. Like, it, it has to, I think the, the line, has to be kind of close to home. You know what I mean? Like, don't don't be too afraid to turn down that opportunity if it means sending out too much because we're just not in that position right now. They can't send out something that they're going to look back on and be like, my God, that we, we, we screwed ourselves with that. And, 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 and look, some of this is going to come down to their internal evaluation on Kevin Knox. If they still internally feel like Kevin Knox has a chance to be like, an efficient like offensively at least like forward version of I'm trying to think of like a good whatever if they think Knox is like a real player still maybe they don't make the deal based on that I don't know I don't know what their internal evaluation of Knox is I wish I knew it doesn't sound like it's very high based on Berman's reporting that like Rose isn't sold on him but who knows Um, but I don't I just the last thing I'll say on this is I don't think it's an accident I shouldn't say that. I think they didn't hire Frank Zanin for this purpose, but it it, it must be awfully nice oh, yeah. to have Absolutely. a guy who literally three months ago was having internal discussions with the Thunder about like, hey, if we decide to trade Chris Paul, who are some of the players around the league who might have a ceiling that's worth it for us to move him? Because Frank Zanin knows what Sam Presti's thinking when it comes to that. And now he works for the Knicks. So, like, talk about the possibility of getting a deal done. I think, like, there, there there's not going to be a lot of beating around the bush. Let's just say that. 
Paul's second question is also about a potential trade for a point guard. Uh, this point guard is is nowhere near the uh, point guard that Chris Paul is. But I'm looking at DeAnthony Melton. Is that the guy? No, it's uh, oh, it's, it's, it's Tyus Jones. Yeah, okay, it's Tyus yeah. Jones. Okay, because so, they want to resign so DeAnthony Melton. Nice. What about making a trade for Tyus Jones if you don't get a shot to draft Lamelo? I know you've talked about drafting Trey with 27, but Tyus had a lot of success under Tibbs and Mini. He'll have two years left at about 10 million a year and could help solidify the PG spot. He knows that Tyus's contract would eat into the 21 cap space, but he's a competent, young, winning player that's played well under Tibbs. If Memphis wants to re-sign Melton, they might want to free up the salary, and he suggests sending DSJ and the 27th pick for Tyus Jones. Yeah, I don't. I, 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 yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's going to happen because um, I don't think Me- Memphis has any intention of trading Tyus Jones. I think they like Tyus Jones, and they should because Tyus Jones is really freaking good. Um, the, even though the contract is only about seven million or seven and change, I think for uh, yeah, seven point five. It's a declining contract, so it's actually a very easily. It's a good trade, uh, tradable right. contract. Um, I don't think the Knicks want to take on that money for that season, like he suggested. Um, I, I don't think the Grizzlies would have any interest whatsoever in bringing aboard um, uh, Dennis Smith Jr. I really don't know who the team is that wants to bring aboard Dennis Smith Jr. I'm sorry, Dennis. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we could just... Dis- can, I, can I make the same joke that I did about Bobby Portis in one of our post games? By all means. You were, you were, like, you were like, what team would want to bring on Bobby Portis? And I just I just said Shanghai. I was, yeah, and, no. Uh, um, <laughs> I, I don't think there's any way for us to, to steal Tyus Jones, unfortunately, which is, is, is sad because um, I also think Tyus, jo- Tyus Jones is... Um, he may still have some hurt feelings from Minnesota because <laughs> for people who don't know this, like... Jeff Teague, who was getting more minutes at the expense of Tyus Jones, would outwardly campaign from the bench to get more minutes <laughs> and for him to play less. I'm not making this up. Yeah, um, that, that was a thing. That was actually that's a real that's a real thing. Um, and it's crazy because the team was much better with Tyus Jones on the floor. Um, yeah, let's, 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 please, let's move on. This has been a happy day so far. Next question. I got you. Don't worry. Matthew O'Connor has three questions relating to Frank Nilagina. Ah, I love it. Let's go. Okay. So in honor of Frank's birthday this week, he has a few questions revolving around the French Prince of New York. He includes that we don't have to feel obligated to discuss all of these, but I will give all three of them to you as quick hitters, as a mood brightener. How likely do you think it is that they'll extend him this offseason? He's gotten the impression that they're more likely to wait until next summer. I was about to say there's a sub five, a sub like 10% chance. Um, I don't know. Maybe Tibbs sees him in August and like falls in love with him. I, 15% chance. All right. Yeah. Second, during his best year, what counting stats do you think Frank will put up? Will he surpass Wilt's record of fifty point three six points per game? <laughs> yes. Um, during his <laughs> during his best year, I think he will put up. Oh goodness, that's a good question. Um, let's go. Let's go six. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, twelve six and four. All right. I was gonna say, I was gonna say. 13, 4, and 6, 4 being rebounds, 6 being... Yeah, no, that's that's what I mean. Uh, 4 rebounds, 6 assists. Oh, okay, gotcha. And third, 
Frank is the, effectively the only Nick that's been here for three plus years. I know Dotson is still here, but unfortunately, it's <laughs> seeming less and less likely that he'll return. I love your opinions, Matthew O'Connor. I know. Yes, it is, it is unfortunate that Dotson uh, looks like he won't return. Free dot. free dot forever. How many current Nicks do you think will still be here three years from now, and who will they be? Oh, three years from that's, now? Yeah. So, uh, 2021, 20, 21, 22, 20. So, 2000. The 2023-24 season at the start of that season, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, I feel oh, the only one I feel any confidence in. I it's, there's only one. I, I, it's not going to be the one you say. I, I'm going to say Mitch because oh, really? because I I think he's because if <sighs> Tibbs knows what he's getting into, and he knows he has one thing that he could rely on here, and it's that fucking dude. And I think he's going to build a defense around him. I think he's going to turn him into a defensive player of the year candidate. And I think they're going to make, and I think they're going to make it such that they don't mind opening the checkbook and paying him a year from now. Because if he has, if he has the season, like I think he's going to have, oh boy, wow, will they need to open up the checkbook? 16, 11, and one on 66% incoming. (laughs) Um, like I want to say RJ, but like one of two things is going to happen. RJ is either going to like just be okay, and then maybe they don't keep him because he's just okay, or he's going to look really good. In which case, he could be featured in a trade for someone that's even better. Right. I was. Yeah, and definitely. so it's like I would put a fifty-fifty chance on Mitch being here in three years. I would put probably a one in three chance of RJ being here in three years. And the only other guy I would even give like anywhere around the 10% chance would probably be Frank. Um, uh, unless we're talking about like this year's this year's lottery pick, which I think I would give a, I don't know, something close to a 50% chance of being here. I was going to say 30 for the lotto. Like they, right, anyway, they could that, trade their lottery pick on draft night for all we know. Like, yeah, like it's that, seriously. Well, hold on, no, don't, don't don't go too okay, far. I, 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 I I think. Next up, though, Jordan Patterson has a philosophical question for you. The NBA draft is loaded with potential franchise players, and free agency is loaded with. I don't know about that one. About the, the draft. All right. Anyway, the free agency is loaded with MVP caliber players. My question is, would you rather be as good as possible and make the playoffs to entice one of those players to come or be a lottery team and give us a chance at a guy like Cade? Oh, he meant the 21. Okay. What do you think gives us the best chance and what direction would you rather the team go in? Oh, do I want to tank or not? Um, I I think I've been pretty clear about this. I, I think it's foolish. Not I shouldn't say that. I think not tanking this year is a is a potentially missed opportunity. Um, my, and look, I, I'm not going to lie. I have not watched one second of what I would consider like film on any of these guys. Um, I've, you know, I've seen highlights. I've listened to people who do this for a living and are much, much smarter than me. Um, but my understanding is that next year's draft is going to have, at least three and maybe four and maybe five like guys who would easily go number one in this draft. Um, Cade, Boston, Kuminga. That's green. three. And uh, green. And isn't, is there one more who's like maybe on the 
So let's say four. Uh, escaping my mind right now. Whatever. Let's say four. So you finish with the worst record uh, next year. You give yourself a 50-50 shot at one of those guys. That's uh, that's that's pretty good. Um, especially when you've just hired a new coach. You've just hired a new president. You you don't mind the fact that you're going to fire your GM in a year. Sorry, cat's out of the bag. I, I, I shouldn't say that. I, I love you, Scott Perry. I, I, I hope you remain employed forever. Um, One of the most respected executives. He's in the league, so respected. To, he's so respected. Just an analytics maven. I love it. Um, uh, that's that's ripe for. Hey, let's go out there and try really hard for sixty games and maybe win like twenty of those sixty games, and then just play. Uh, I don't know, Chris Percy Einan and Jonathan Macri and Herb Williams and this Taylor PNR duo. Yeah. You know, and like this empty beer can is sitting in front of me. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, no, hey, let's that. It, it could provide some rim protection. You could trip over the can like that to me is kind of having your cake and eating it too. And what, excuse me, what, potential benefit are you giving up by going that path you're giving up the potential benefit of um Giannis Antetokounmpo deciding he he wants to choose I can't I I don't mean to laugh no I don't mean no I don't mean to laugh I don't mean to laugh um (laughs) declining to go to like Toronto which is the model organization in all of sports and he like knows Ujiri on no, a very personal level. Ah, screw that. To come to the Knicks, Jimmy D time, or or to give Victor Oladipo, who may or may not be healthy again, um, you know, thirty million dollars a year as a thirty year old, like, you know, I, I you know, I'm so I, I just. And, and all that being said, look, I'll I'll get behind this plan because I do think this plan is a chance of working. But if you're asking me what I would do, like, you know, I'm sorry, but yeah. Gotcha. All right. We have, we have three left. Yeah. Uh, We're we're at, okay. We're going to run like 10 minutes over. That's not the end of the world. We'll be fine. Yeah. Christopher Amato says that on one of your podcasts, you mentioned that the Knicks front office did a terrible job of bringing in guys with the right tools, i.e. shooters and defenders. I agree with this, but if you were the Knicks GM, who would you have brought in instead of last year's group, especially Peyton, Portis, and Red? Great question. Um, I would have probably opened my, like the, the proverbial, like show up on the guy's lawn in a helicopter at 12.01 a.m., uh, although it, was, it wasn't 12.01 a.m., it was uh, 6 p.m. Um, right. Probably would have done that for Ricky Rubio. And it's funny, and I'll admit, and anyone could go look this up at the time, I openly questioned the Rubio contract because I was like, wow, it's a lot of money and, you know, three guaranteed years for a young team that's like rebuilding. Well, guess the fuck what? Um, <laughs> go, go, go look at the Suns numbers this year with Ricky Rubio on the court and with him off. Um so and by the way, for my answer right now, I'm putting aside the fact that like last year being a shit show inadvertently set us up for potentially tanking this year, which, again, they're not going to go that route. But I guess if the question is like if I had my druthers, then 
I guess the tanking root potentiality is good. Whatever. I'm just being like, what would I have done if I wanted to build a good team? Right. So, right. Um, Ricky Rubio would be phone call number one. Um, I would have been fine with the Ellington contract. Um, yeah, I would. I mean, the Bullock Bullock, too. Bullock is a Bullock is a bargain. Um, you, you, you still. I th- no. I I think. I think you still sign Morris. Um, I think you yeah. still sign Morris because then you just play Morris at the four which is obviously what he is in the NBA nowadays. And then you trot out a starting lineup of Rubio. Um, Ellie, I mean, whatever, uh, pick a name, Ellington, Dotson, uh, Bullock, Bullock when whatever. he was healthy. I mean, it's shit, Frank, no, seriously. Like I, I know what he, he finished shooting the, he finished the year shooting what? 34% from three. Oh yeah. Not bad. I mean, that's whatever. Like, yeah, Rubio's not going to give you a ton of spacing, but whatever. Pick your shooting guard. And then you start RJ at the three, let him learn on the fly. You have Morris at the four, and then you have Mitch at the five uh, with Taj backing him up. Um, yeah, and I still would have signed Taj because I think Taj is great for that locker room. He was, I, I was going to I was gonna throw that one in there too. I didn't know how much money you had left. Though. Oh, and one other thing. Um, sorry. I would have not – I would have made – I, I, I'm like not made the Bobby Portis signing because I would have made it such that Kevin Knox was my backup power forward, uh, full stop with, uh, with the opportunity to get some time at shoot at small forward in, uh, uh, bigger lineups, uh, still signed ties. So no Randall, no Peyton. Um, what did I miss? You've got like 30 million. Uh, t- take on the uh, take on the Harkless, which again creates this weird parallel universe where if the Clippers don't take on Harkless, they don't have Harkless to trade for Morris for a first round pick later in the year. But whatever, we'll figure that part out later. Um, time. Who? No, I'm saying like if it's not the Clippers, then the Lakers. Oh, would yeah, no, I'll pass. You're you're diabolical. Uh, yes, my diabolical trade. Um, no, to do the do the Harkless salary dump. Um, another vet in the locker room, good guy, good player, um, and save some cash for something that might come up down the road, like um, the Winslow trade, which I know Memphis gave up way too much, but whatever. Um, I think that probably about does it, right? No, yeah, the, the, you're good. Okay, that was uh, there's your answer. Oh, and sorry, I, I, uh, trade trade Dennis Smith Jr. for uh, literally the best offer. Okay. I like that too. That work, that all works for me. I agree. Yeah. Next up, two left. Uh, our penultimate question. Saif Judidi says, Hi, John and Chris, in parentheses. Also, Jeremy. There's <laughs> been plenty of discussion that the Knicks won't rely on the youth as heavily this upcoming season. In other words, we should expect to see our 2020 lottery pick, RJ and Mitch, play for sure. Maybe Frank is the fourth youngin. All sounds good to me so far. There's also the big Knox question. So conservatively, that's four to five youths in the rotation. And that's still... Youths? Did you say youths? Excuse me, sir. What is a youth? No, youths. Youths. Oh, youths. Like like, uh, like an old person. Okay. Like imagine like like, like get off my lawn. Like these youths won't. I I miss miss heard you. Sorry, continue. Yeah, they're... There we go. All right. That leaves DSJ, Iggy, Dot, who probably isn't coming back. 
uh, Harper, Lamar Peters, and Wooten. That brings them to their final question. What are we going to do with 27 and 38? They feel like the best strategy is to bundle them up, to move up, aim for quality, not quantity. Who are we targeting? Any chance we even move up? If we were trading these picks for a veteran, are there any potential overpriced but expiring short-term contracts that stand out? Ooh, you're asking a lot there. Um, I know. I'll, I'll answer this since we're running long. I'll just say quickly, I think they will absolutely be open to trading those picks. I don't think there's any prayer in the world that they use all three of those picks on players who um, like they intend to be a part of the Knicks rotation next year. Like, I don't know, maybe they make two of them and they do a draft and stash with the, with the, with the third pick Um, in terms of like trade for a veteran. It's just tough because like, so what is, who's the team that wants to trade a good veteran who's going to help you win games right now and bring in the 27th and 38th pick in a bad draft um, to give that guy up. I, I just am not really sure. Like usually those teams exist and I just don't, is there a team that I'm missing? I'm, I'm turning to you. Is there a team that like, no. And the other thing I think about too, is like, you know, people will say, Oh, we can take, you know say we get the sixth pick six 27 and 38 and use that to move up it's like well if a team is moving down it means they probably don't like the draft class too much so why no, would they that's... want two more picks in the same yeah, yeah you know I'll, what I'm saying? I'll, I'll buy that more than like I, i'll buy um uh I, I would imagine they would only do this if they knew Toppin fell, but like, you know, Cleveland getting four and LaMelo somehow falling to four and like us having getting seven and then seven, uh, 27 and 38 and like maybe Detroit's pick next year. Although I, I don't even, I don't even know if that would be enough to move up to, to four to take LaMelo. Um, I don't know. I could see, I can see Cleveland doing that. Um, Maybe, um, I don't, maybe? I, maybe, um, I don't know. Yeah. I like Detroit has a lot of young guys and they don't have a, like, a, what do you want? Like Langston Galloway? Like, you know, <laughs> no, I, I don't mean to disparage Langston Galloway, Once but like, I don't always a Nick. Yeah, exactly. But like, that's, I don't, I don't think Leon Rose and the front office are like looking at that dude as like a needle mover. Um, Everyone in the West is trying to win games. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see the team. Sorry, it's tough. Yeah, right, maybe so Detroit. Maybe, keep an eye on Detroit. They're interesting to me. I don't I just, know again, I just don't know who they. Oh my god! Office. Do you know what I? You know what just thought popped in? I can't. I can't believe I almost made it through the entire podcast. Detroit does employ a, a certain gentleman who had some modicum of success once upon a time um, under Tom Thibodeau and is in a, and is under a fair contract next season. Oh, I've already that that Bootham has been on about that too. You know, don't even I've thought about it. Don't Bootham's say his name. Don't, don't say his name. I don't need I don't need that energy in my 
space right now. Once um, a Nick, always a Nick. No, not in my mind because uh, <laughs> there because he ran away from the team. All right, any, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> it's no, it's not even that. I, I like God. Yeah, I was gonna make a really just I, mm, okay. Let's move on. Deep breath, Macri. Deep breath. I, he's he's one of my three least least favorite Knicks of all time, and I um, it's a clear, it's a pretty clear top three. So uh, I mean, wow. Last question, Ray Marsano. Ray asks if the Knicks were to trade all of their 2020 draft assets. Not that he expects this. What type of player can they get in return? So that's why earlier I told you to hold off on the yeah. trade a lot because if we take all three, what do you think it could get us? Um, I think the question here is how much do teams va- with stars value picks in this draft class? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think the only guy that's a part of the, that that makes sense for this question is Levine. And do the Bulls make this trade? They got to think about it. Um, Just for a second. They might say no, but it's enough to not get your number blocked. Like, I no, I no, I don't. I know. I think, I think the Bulls should absolutely think about it, but I don't like that would mean bringing in two more kids to, um, I don't, I don't, I don't know what, what, like, what do the Bulls want to do this year? Um, You're not playing for see Karnasovas wants to give Reinsdorf a reason to fire Boylan, so he's gonna inadvertently tank so that he can get his own head coach. In there. <laughs> like, you're not playing. You're not playing 4D chess with this. John. Like I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the Bulls turn around and they, yeah, they get that pick from the Knicks and then they turn around and they flip like whatever, six and seven for two or three and take Anthony Edwards. Um, and then they could, s- and no, and then they could say like, we turned, we turned our lottery pick and Zach Levine into Anthony Edwards. Like, I don't know. Um, do they want to do that? That would, I, that would be rough. I, I would I, not I, be happy if I were a Bulls fan. I, I, but again, I have no idea. Um, I don't, I don't, I have no like idea. Six and seven is like, Kyra Lewis and Isaac Okoro, like you could have that. You could get both of those guys potentially, and you just you just get Anthony. Ed, like, oh, I don't know. Um, I got a guy. I don't know if this is what it's. You know, it's not way too much to pay for this guy. I, I don't know would they would the Cavs want to do sex. I the, I also thought of oh no, they're not going to trade Garland. Why would okay. they trade? Why would they trade Garland? He's only been there for a year. He's a good kid. Um, he had a rough year, but so did everybody there, uh, except actually Sexton towards the end of that season. Um, but again, that would only happen if with the first pick that you sent them, uh, the Cavs were like, this is a point guard prospect who we can't pass up. Um, and we know we can't have him at the, on the team with Garland and... Um, Sexton and what's his face the, the the guy who's kind of a ball handler uh, Kevin Porter Jr. Yeah, uh, he's yeah, good too. He is good. Um, Garland and KPJ is the backcourt they should be building around. I actually think some. Oh, I hear my daughter crying. That's our side thing. Oh, um, I actually think the Cavs would probably ask for more in that deal, but I think it's an interesting trade. All right, this has been fun. 
Oh, Go on. It's okay, you, you have Sass. a situation to address. Oh my God, my daughter has tears in her eyes. Okay, um, Chris Persiani, thank you. Uh, wait, no, I have to let you do this because you're as much my child as she is. Uh, plug your podcast before we get out of here. <laughs> um, I host the co-host the To a Tolerable Degree podcast with Fritz Baldoff and Riley Glenn. That is a general sports pod uh, that I have a lot of fun doing. I also co-host the bleed orange and blue pod with chris cortez we just had mike vorkanov of the athletic on the other day to talk tibbs talk zach levine and all that so there are new episodes of both of those podcasts out also i have to sneak this in there 36 is my answer oh um yeah you're not really a guest so i mean i'll, I'll write it down in pencil how about that um 36 kp okay um Thank you for doing this. You're the man. Uh, everybody go follow Chris Persianen on Twitter. Um, subscribe to his podcast. Listen to his podcasts. He is the um, future of sports media. Um, okay. You are. Uh, don't deny it. Um, I love you all. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned because we have two um, very good conversations with two callers uh, that are left over from our fundraiser show once again. You guys are all the best. I love you. Um, Tom Thibodeau, uh Go forth, young man. All right. Joining me on the show now, um, you know, I guess the fundraiser pod was uh, a better idea than I thought because I had people still wanting to participate um, even late in the game when I stopped um, kind of overtly trying to get people to do it. And one such person is someone that I've interacted with on Twitter. It feels like for a while. Um, so I'd like to welcome to the show, Chris Carter. Chris, how you doing, man? Yeah. Hey, what's going on, man? How are you? Uh, I'm doing great. It's great to, uh, to finally touch base in person. So talk to me. Like you, you yeah, said, yeah. you said you wanted to share a funny story about the, the fundraiser idea. So go for it. Well, I mean, yeah, well, just like, I just really just wanted to give you kudos for that. I mean, I think it was like a really tremendous choice to pick the higher heights organization. And I just, the reason I say that is because so, like, I, I live in Crown Heights in Brooklyn. Um, my representative is Hakeem Jeffries from New, okay. York, New York 8. Sure. Um, a few weeks, yeah, a few weeks ago, he came out to to uh, the bedside to give out, like, PPE and, like, talk to the constituents and all that. I decided to go. It was early on a Saturday. I figured I would just, like, go see the congressman. I'd never seen him up close before. Okay. Um, I, wh- I went and... It was super hot. I ended up leaving early because I was like, I, I did not want to sweat in buckets. I took the free PPE and I left. My only point is that when I went there in line, there were like 20 something odd people in there. Uh, and all but four of them, including myself, were black women. Oh, wow. And yeah. And when, when, I, when I go to like my polling place uh, in the area, it's routinely staffed by black women. And you know, so you can say, oh, yeah. Bedside is historically black neighborhood, yes. But like, it was me and another guy with only black men there. Everyone else was pretty much a black woman. So and not so much anymore. I, 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 we should we should say for anybody who hasn't been to yeah, bedside no, in a while, it, you know, a little different. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. Um, but I've also heard stories like that from other parts of the country, and so I, I feel like people don't really understand the extent to which like black women are really like literally in some ways keeping democracy afloat and yet they are not necessarily proportionally represented in positions of power and politics. So I feel like, you know, they should be, we should be empowering them more. And so I feel like that was a really, really awesome choice on your part. That I mean, I appreciate that. Um, thank you. It's, 
you know, I still remember, um, God, I think it's been 10 years since, no, maybe not 10 years since the movie came out. When did Selma come out? But I, I, I'll, the beginning of that movie will always stick with me. And, and like, not that I didn't know that that stuff happened before, but like when I'm pretty sure it's Oprah, right? Goes to the polling location and they give her, they try to give her like a quiz to name, I don't know, I think a bunch of like district judges or some nonsense. And like that stuff happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that stuff happened in this country until, I mean, I think a lot more recently than a lot of young people realize. Um, yeah. And it's just like, you want to talk about a, a group of people who the system was quite literally set up to make sure that they never got involved. Um, it's, it, I mean, black people in general, but especially black women. Um, so, yeah, man, thank you for, for shouting out um, the organization and, and the cause. And, um, you know, I'll just black yeah. black lives matter real quick i don't think i actually black said that sure. i don't think i said that on the, the either of the fundraiser pod. so let me just say that because <laughs> i know this is just like yeah. you know anyway uh, um okay nick's basketball yeah. and uh, it's, it's, today was also john lewis's funeral so it's a pretty it's pretty on point yeah and uh, well okay now you i have to say you know um president obama i still will call him president obama um, yeah. you know, his, what his words, if anybody's listening to this and wants to educate yourself for five minutes today, look up what he said about filibustering and, um, maybe educate yourself on that. Okay. That's it. I'm, I'm getting off. Yeah. We're both getting, we'll both get off the soapbox and yeah, we'll, yeah, yeah. we'll, we'll get down into the muck, which is where the Knicks live. Of course. Um, so given yeah. that this is a mailbag episode, uh, what do you have a question? Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. All right. All right. So. As you, let me just set this up a little bit. So, as, as you're as you're aware, uh, the coaching uh, search engendered a little bit of strife amongst Knicks fans. Um, you know, and, and and there are different camps, right? There was like, there was like pretty much the Kenny Atkinson camp, and then like I guess the Tibbs camp, and some people like some other people, whatever. But, um, you know, I. I was initially a Kenny Atkinson guy, and I think you kind of did it like a deep dive into Thibodeau and was um, did a lot of reporting on that, which I appreciate. And it actually kind of persuaded me to the other side. Okay. Um, but like the Kenny cult or the Kenny fans, I don't like the like the degree to which they were so adamant that he's like the one and future king. I, it, it it kind of baffled me. Um, I, I I mean I think he's a nice coach. I wouldn't have been upset if he was hired or whatever. But um, you had Budum on your podcast, at, uh, I don't know, was like a week ago yeah, or so, couple, something like that? a couple, whatever, a week or two, something like that, yeah. Yeah, so basically in the aftermath of this, the only thing I really wanted to do is I want to be able to go to Budum's Twitter page <laughs> two years from now and troll the shit out of him because he's <laughs> driving under Sid. <laughs> so my, my question to you is, what is the Knicks reality that would allow me to do that? And I mean, it's like outside of, wins that's a whatever no i i i yeah i know what you mean like what would the team have to look and feel like yeah like what does the team look like where where are our prospects like where where you know in terms of you know frank hopefully he's still here and then and mitch and rj like what is the construction of the team what is our state of progress where you can say like definitively Tibbs is the right guy for the for the job um i want to say two things in response to that one I think that there was something, and I'm, not, and this is not to downplay the very legitimate cases made by a lot of the Kenny stands, uh, and and Budum, like 
he, you know, he could be a bit of a jerk online sometimes, but he also does, he does have a lot of facts and figures to, to back up his position. I think to, to a lot oh, of people, Thibodeau represents the typical Knicks hire and Kenny represents the outside the box hire that the Knicks never make. Whereas I actually yeah. think if just for argument's sake, Let's say the, the the early rumor was like, oh, the Knicks are pining after Kenny Atkinson, and then mm-hmm. and then Tibbs became available like later. Like, I know I know this isn't realistic because he got fired a year and a half ago, but just for argument's sake, and yeah. the, and the Knicks were like ignoring Tibbs as a candidate. I almost think you would have had a lot of people being like, wait a minute, hold on, we have a coach that was inarguably one of the top three or four coaches in the league for five years, went to Minnesota, had some shit luck with players and the Knicks are going to bypass him for a coach um, that, you know, won 20 and 21 games in his first two years. Like, I think whatever the, the, the narrative was going to be, there would be a segment of people who'd be like, well, of course they're going to do that. That's typical Knicks What a stupid move. So I just want to say that. I don't think I've said that yet. And I just want to get that out there too. To respond to your question. I think the biggest thing, if you're talking about two years from now, they're going to need to make the playoffs within two years. I don't think that there's any universe where they can miss the playoffs in the next two years other than one that I just don't see happening, which is them making not a concerted effort to tank this year. But like, let's say they really do draft a rookie point guard and play him and RJ and Frank and Mitch in a starting lineup with like, I don't know, one decent veteran and they win like 27 games, but look good doing it. And then they get lucky and then they get Cade, who's really the only point guard ish prospect in the top 10 next year. And then they are like, OK, we can't screw this up. Let's start him. And then next year they win like 35 games. I think that's the only scenario whereby I could imagine him missing the playoffs both years and it being considered like, OK, this is there's development happening here. More likely, more likely, I think you're going to need to see Mitch kind of, I'm not going to say he has to make an all defense team in the next two years, but man, he's got to come close. And I think he needs to turn, I think he needs to turn RJ Barrett into, I'm not like, not an all-star, not not even close to an all-star, but like a guy who you could look at and be like, that's a guy that 29 other teams want on their team, regardless of who they are. And I want to say that there's going to need to be some, give me one other young player, literally just one. I don't care if it's Frank. I don't care if it's this year's draft pick. I don't care if it's Kevin Knox. I don't like, I don't care. I don't care if it's next year's draft pick. One other player who by the next two years, you could look at and be like, oh, Tibbs turned this guy into a effing rabid dog. Like defensively, like an offensive piece. I think it's going to be in the development. I don't know how you judge him based on anything other than development. And then he just needs to avoid the common like bullshit, right? Like, you know, don't <laughs> like if they sign DJ Augustine this season, don't play DJ Augustine 34 minutes a game like that. Um, that's I could probably go on, but like. Yeah, I would say in short, or not too short, but like that would be my my simple answer. But, but I also, I just think that it's, there's like a certain trauma ingrained in Knicks fans where something about the Thibodeau hire signals like a, a, a bypassing of 
development and and going straight for like uh uh the quick fix or like uh some sort of oh for sure you know um, and and so but like the people also have to maintain perspective right like so there's a certain amount of development as well as you're not going to ignore you know superstar free agents if you can sign them or if you can trade for them right like yeah is, is, i mean i'm you know. No, and that's and that's why like the the Knicks could change. I can't believe I'm about to use this term. The Knicks could change the goalposts on the way I just gave my answer by making a particular trade. Like if they trade for Zach Levine tomorrow, not that they could trade from tomorrow. Actually, they could because both teams are out of it. Whatever. If they trade for Zach Levine, um, for our, I'm just throwing a name out there, and like he's a disaster under Tibbs. Like obviously that's. Not gonna fly. Like he, he would need to get that yeah, dude yeah. to a place. Um. Anyway, we've been going a little long. Um. Yeah. But this was a great conversation. Right. But I, I want to before I get you out of here. Um. Shoot, where's that little card? Here it is. Okay, hold on. I, I wrote all the I wrote all the win total predictions on a little card that I posted to this bulletin board thing I have. Okay. Um. Give me forty predi- wins. You're going forty. All right. So you are the third person to give me the forty win prediction. Um, Feeling good. I, I think I said thirty three, and I'm. God, there's so many variables. Um, I don't think forty is stupid. I really don't. I mean, it's it's on the high end for me, but I'm I'm going optimistic right now. No, man, listen, hey, listen. This is the, as much as I get shit for like, I don't know. I guess talking down about certain players. I, I do still think of this as the optimistic Knicks podcast. I hope I still have earned that. But um, anyway, Chris. Right. Thanks, man. I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> no, dude, thank you so much for coming through. Thank you for making an effort yeah. to make the donation. And uh, yeah, man, I'm sure yeah. I'll, I'll hit you up on Twitter soon. All right, bro. Later. All right. Now joining me on the Knicks Film School podcast on uh, I am I'm calling this Tom Thibodeau Day here on uh, Saturday afternoon. Uh, David Garfinkel. David, uh, how you feeling? What's going on? Well, I'm feeling good, Jonathan. I wanted to thank you first for all the work you do and all the great writing, keeping us Knicks fans excited about everything and uh, and for the opportunity that you provided here to help us support a good cause and for me to have a little time talking to you. So that's all good. Well, thank you. And for As far as the Tom. <laughs> Oh, go for it. Yeah, no, I was going to say, thank you for the kind words. Um, I, they're certainly undeserved. And, and thank you for wanting to be a part of this and, uh, you know, giving some money to uh, a great cause. Uh, and, you, yeah, you stole my thunder here. So Tibbs is the coach. What uh, what are your initial thoughts? Well, I mean, uh, that, the, the, the coaching search was, was – is okay, my initial thoughts are I think the Knicks are doing about as good a job as they can do as an organization given the – past and probably given some issues with the ownership and some other stuff in terms of building what looks to me like the potential for a competitive basketball team. That's, and that's for me, that's good enough right now. I, how I feel. So I think you hit the nail on the head when you say competitive basketball team, because (laughs) what, no, I mean, listen, you you can't laugh at it because (laughs) We've we've been here for twenty years. I should ask how how old are you, or how long have you been a fan? I'm so I I'm fifty four years years old, and I was introduced to the Knicks by my father in around seventy three. So that would, I would have been about seven years old, and he told me all about the great history of the Knicks and how they they fancy they were a team team made up of 
a mixed group of people all working together, playing team ball, the, a great fan base and the defense. He told me the story about Frazier and Willis and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, I've always been a Nick fan. So uh, ever since then, I have, a, you know, long history and, um, you know, I, I, I grew up in Tennessee and I watched Bern, Ernie, oh, wow. Bernie play like okay. live and uh, some things like that, you know, I mean, uh, man, I've been around this whole thing for a long time. And, uh, and so that's, that's where I'm at. So I, I, I appreciate your perspective because I think, you know, it's, it's interesting. I'm not going to say that young fans don't know what competitive basketball looks like because all you have to do is turn on, you know, another, a a game being played by other teams to see that. But I think that there's something, there's an appreciation for older Nick fans, um, you know, and I, I put myself in that category. I started rooting for the team in 1993. So a little, a little after you, mm-hmm. but still, you know, I, I like we've seen what it is to be competitive here in this city, in this environment. And yes. I think, you know, and I don't want to downplay the job that maybe Kenny Atkinson would have done or, you know, some of these other, you know, first time head coaches. I'm, I'm not going to mention Jason Kidd, um, but like there is there is a lot that is on your plate here in New York. And I think of all the candidates to, you could, you could talk about play styles. I think you could talk about a lot of different things, but like Tibbs is a guy I think we could be sure of can handle all that other stuff. And Thibodeau. Thibodeau. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I I call him Tibbs. That's just, it's easier. I should get used to saying Thibodeau because I can't always say Tibbs. Um, I think we said kid. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, God, no. Um, Thibodeau. Um, Thibodeau. I'm going to keep getting this wrong. It's Thibodeau and then the nickname is Tibbs, which is odd, but that is the, that is the difference. In any case, um, I, we know he could handle it. And I think, you know, from your experience watching the team for as long as you have, you kind of know, that, like I just said, there's a lot that comes with being successful in New York. Yeah, I mean, if we could, you know, uh, step back for me a little bit is sort of the. Uh, for, I feel like the oh, yeah, going through in the number of coaches that we've gone through, and actually thinking that that the coach is going to be the one that takes the team to the next level. I mean, I look at Thibodeau's Chicago team, and I think that team was loaded in a way. Like at, for whatever you know, those players at that moment were a young, energetic, and sort of in, in what felt a little bit like all-star mode in their career before they had some physical problems. And sometimes I think the, the coach gets the credit for being uh, a, a guy who gets to work with great players. And without the great players, I don't, I'm not positive that their coaching style makes them able to create a great team. But what I do feel like is that uh, the organization in part – has a really had a really tough road in part because because what they've done is in is missed opportunities to have great drafts uh created a team that has been good enough not to be able to draft high enough until rj and kp and then you know obviously kp didn't work out but but that's fine uh in a way but so, and also what I wanted to talk a little bit was like the kind of Knox, Nilakina Robinson thing where these guys are coming out at 19, 18 years old. And to think that like, I sort of feel like what people like think is that 
that a coach is going to be able to turn this around. And it seems like a lot of these guys take four or five years because they've basically never had much team basketball experience outside of high school and maybe a year of college. But that's, I think that goes hand in hand with your organizational philosophy, which is why, you know, I think, you know, Mitchell Robinson, I'll put into a different category because he was a second round pick and it's kind of like a, um, you know, if that doesn't work out, it's, it's, it's not the end of the world that he has worked out. I think with Frank and specifically with Knox, if you're drafting those kids, you have to know that you have an organizational philosophy and organizational, you know, something set up in your franchise in place that's going to take those kids from day one to day 1000 or whatever, you know, three years, four years, five years down the line. And that's why I think of all the things that I'm critical of the Perry and Mills regime, the fact that they essentially invested one year in Knox and then, as far as I'm concerned, turned their backs on him this last season. That's to me malpractice, because what did you think was going to happen? You drafted a kid who his own coach said it's going to be a three year thing. Well, you know, guess what? He wasn't kidding. So that like of all the things like you you hit the nail on the head when you said it's it, it doesn't just come down to the coach it comes down to the organization. So I just hope everybody's on the same page and no one's kidding themselves with what this is. My guess is that we are not going to see much um <laughs> I'm not going to say we're not going to see any development. I don't want to get myself into trouble here, but I don't think we're going to see a lot of on the court learning and playing through mistakes. Let's just say that, you know, mm. and you I, know, I we'll mean, I, I'm one of those, you know, I, I, uh, by the way, I, I, I contribute to posting and toasting as Garfazilla. Sometimes. Oh, okay, cool. And I'm one. Yeah. And I'm one of the few people who on occasion defends Julius Randall. That's not a crime. Because in part, I part, I feel that the Knicks were in a weird spot where they had a lot of money to spend and they knew that their young players were not ready for 30 minutes a game. They they were concerned about Frank's injury history. They knew Knox was not anywhere near ready in his head and some other things. So they basically like, well, let's see if we can get some guys in here. We'll work through their things in practice. And I saw by the end of the year, and this is a Knicks fan deal. Like, I don't know if other teams are like this, but I, I'm okay with a team that wins 20 games if I start to see some progress and cohesion and i saw frank start to pump his fists i start to see him absolutely do that and, and also at the I, end of the season he's doing that. i don't think we could discount we saw some nice progress from rj towards the end i think that houston game was absolutely, absolutely massive for rj and i think and i've i've wondered a few times how much our perception of the growth that did or did not occur this season has been skewed by the fact that we did not get to see those last whatever 15 or 16 games. And I know the, the easy right. response is like nothing that matters in a, for a losing team. And that those last games like that, it's meaningless. Well, no, it's not. Not when you're talking about young players and not when you're tracking growth over a short span of time. So I, I think you made a lot of great points. Um, I, before we get out of here, I want to um, ask you the same question I'm asking everybody, which is no caveats, no, no couching it. No, no asterisk. Just, Give me a prediction win total for next season. I need a number here. Win total for next season. Uh, what did we win this year? 
<laughs> well, uh, that's we were it, we were on pace. <laughs> well, hold on. There's a few different answers, right? Because we, they won 21 games. They were on pace okay. under Miller for I believe 31 wins, and they were on pace okay. just for the whole season. I think for like 27 or 28. All right. Uh, I will say that we will win 31. Okay. That's not, that's towards the low end, not the lowest. Um, it's funny. I've asked this to now six different people. I've gotten six different answers. This is hysterical. Uh Um, this was, this was absolutely great. Um, David, can you, um, you know, do anything you want to plug or promote before I get you out of here? Uh, plug or promote. I wasn't prepared for any plugging or promoting, but you don't I'm, have I'm writing to. It's a science fine. fiction novel. <laughs> I'm a, I'm writing a book right now. It's not about the Knicks, but uh, but I, I Jonathan, I do really appreciate uh, getting your Knicks uh, writing and everything, and it really it makes me happy. And I just want to like let all the Knicks fans like say hi out there and be like, just you know, let's have a good time this year, <laughs> next year if they get to play a season and enjoy the little pro- bits of progress that we might see on the way to a. Uh, a, a really fun year. That's what I'm hoping for. David Garfinkel, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for your contribution to this effort. And uh, this was fun talking, man. I really had a good time. You too, man. Great talking to you. 